Well, so in the last few weeks, we've been looking at Luke 2.10, the angel saying, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And so today we're looking at this idea of all people, good news for all people. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. And if you're new to the idea of a parable, if you're new exploring the Bible, basically a parable is a short story with one big idea. And this parable that Jesus tells about in, in Matthew 25, it's in a stretch of Scripture where Jesus is unpacking for us realities about the end of the age or the end times, so to say. And so in this particular parable, he tells of a master who was going to go away on a long journey. And this master going away represents Jesus ascending into heaven as we wait for his return, by the way. And upon leaving, what he does is he entrusts property to some of his servants, to some of the people who are in charge of his estate. And so he gives them property, he gives them resources, and he basically says, I want you to manage these things until I come back. And so each of the servants in Matthew 25 receives different amounts. And so then after a long time, Jesus comes back, or the master comes back, rather, and he goes and he, he brings the servants forward. And the first two that he interacts with were extremely faithful. You know, they doubled what, what the master had given them. They doubled the money. They doubled the resources. Um, they had done a great job. And uh, the third servant, not so much. And so the, the first two, when the master comes and talks to them, his words are reassuring. His words are kind. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And then to the third, he says, you wicked, slothful servant. And then he has him cast off of his land, cast out of his property into the wilderness, where it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's really uplifting. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's a part of us, even if you're here and you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a part of us where we're a little afraid of this parable. Even those of us who could explain its theological significance and with confidence we could unpack and assure all believers that if you are in Christ, then you're going to be welcomed as a good and faithful servant on account of Jesus' obedience, not on account of yours. Even though we can do that, there's still a sense where we shiver at the thought of what will the master say to me when I am dead or when Jesus comes back and I stand before the pearly gates. You know, having done lots of funerals over the years, I can tell you that even the most even the godliest people you have known, there's still a sense of fear when they're at the end. Even though these are people who you know beyond the shadow of a doubt they're believers, there's still something within us that is terrified at the idea of going and meeting our maker. What will he say? Will he look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Because if I'm honest... There's a lot of days when it feels like he might actually say, get your ugly, yella, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. It's a Home Alone reference, guys. 
Listen, the point is this. The older you get, the more aware of yourself you become. Unless you have mastered the art of self-deception, which frankly, a lot of people have, um, the truth is that I understand my sin more today than I did five years ago, than I did 10 years ago, right? Can I get an amen about your sin, not about mine? Committing, listen, when you get married, young people, when you get married, committing to someone in marriage puts your sin under a microscope because you realize how selfish you are. And then when you have kids, it puts your sin on a billboard for everybody around you to, to see and to hear as you yell at your children. See, the point is that as we age, we become more and more and more aware of just how sinful we are and just how little we measure up. And so when we read something like Matthew 25 and it says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, we think hardly. But if there's a position open for like a stable boy or a guy who pushes the broom, like let me know. Now, I, I say this stuff in jest because I want to create tension in your heart as we open up the Bible to see what the Word of God says about this time as good news for all people. Because we, over the last few weeks, we've been in Luke 2, 10 to 11. We're looking at the birth announcement from the angels to the shepherds in the hills of Bethlehem. And when the angels arrive, when these messengers show up, the shepherds shook with fear. They shook with fear. And Jesus tells us why they shook with fear in John chapter 3. This is what John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You know, we love that first part. Like the first part of John 3.16, we love it. We hold it up at football games. You know, we like that first part, the part about love and no judgment. But those last few verses about light and darkness, about wickedness and evil and fear, the truth is they hit a little bit too close to home because that's our reality. And that's why the shepherds quaked with fear as here they are and this supernatural being and soon-to-be supernatural beings show up. Because when you stand before something that is holier than you are, that is bigger than you are, that is stronger than you are, and you know you don't measure up, the logical response is to be afraid which is exactly what these shepherds were. And you have to remember what's before them. These are just angels. These are just messengers. This isn't God Almighty. This isn't the Ancient of Days. This isn't the one who makes and unmakes words with the word of his mouth. Worlds, I mean. This isn't the one who holds all things together. This isn't the one who 
all things were created by him and for him and through him. These are just angels. Yet still the shepherds, aware of the fact that the darkness despises the light, they retreat into fear. But the angel's response to their fear is intriguing. Because despite the inadequacy of the shepherds, despite the sin of the shepherds, despite the fear of the shepherds, despite the profession of the shepherds, despite the sheep poop that's all over their clothes and the dirt, the angels say this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Hmm. There it is again. Good news, peace on earth for those with whom he is well pleased. Well, that sounds a lot like well done, good and faithful servant, or get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property. Because how is it good news for all people if it's only good news for people with whom he is well pleased? That doesn't feel like good news. Am I right? Actually, that feels like someone stapled a reminder to my head that I don't measure up. And so this seems like it's conflicting truth here that the angel says, I bring you good news for all people, for those who he's pleased with. And you go, uh, wah, wah, wah. But here's the truth. Not since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in the Garden of Eden has any human being on the planet actually had the spiritual capacity or the emotional fortitude, or the volition of will to measure up, to be enough. Matter of fact, according to the Scriptures, we don't stand approved. We fall flat on our face, both by nature, in other words, how we were born corrupt, and also by choice with the decisions that we make. And so the truth is, we cannot be faithful servants. And so, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, I guess I'm not invited. This is why God, in Genesis chapter 12, makes a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes this promise. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. Go to the land I will show you. And Abram, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this Abrahamic covenant, that's what it's called, within this acorn of a promise stands the mighty oak of the gospel. That God had decided that he would work through Abraham's descendants, Isaac, 
Jacob, Judah, David, Solomon, and so on and so on, all the way down to Jesus to enact a great rescue mission. And this is why Matthew and Luke painstakingly trace Jesus' lineage back to Abraham. And in Luke, he tracks it all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Because where Adam fell, Jesus would succeed. So Jesus was uniquely sent to solve this problem of our own ineptitudes due to sin because he was born without a sinful nature. After all, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by the corrupt nature of any man. And so Jesus comes as the only faithful one, and Jesus comes as the righteous one. He comes as the second Adam who will decide both by nature and by choice to follow his Father in obedience, God the Almighty One. But how is his birth good news for all people? That's what I was wrestling with this week. How is his birth good news for all people? And after writing and rewriting my sermon like three times, then being in a bad mood for four days, and I feel like, I woke up one morning with these verses on my mind. The Apostle Paul beautifully summarizes why this is good news in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, written some 65 years after Jesus was born in a manger. And this is what he says in Titus 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack why this announcement of Jesus' birth is good news for all people. First, look who is invited to this party. Fools? Check. Disobedient people? Yep. People who have no self-control? Well, they're the most fun at a party, aren't they? People who feel enslaved to their own desires? Bingo. You're invited to. Those who are misled and gullible? Yep. You're invited. It's not a trick. Humans entrenched with envy, people swallowed by evil, people seething with hatred, yes, you're invited to. You see, Jesus didn't come for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick, or more theologically accurate, he came for the dead. The truth is that everyone is sick, dead in their sins, but not everybody realizes it. The Pharisees were oblivious to it. They thought that their 
Judaism made their some made themselves righteous. They thought that following the law made themselves righteous. They thought that if they just did this, that, and the other thing, like so many people do, they thought if they just were religious enough, then they would be good enough. But Jesus came for people who are desperate for him. Jesus came for the scum of the earth. Jesus came for me, and he came for you. He came for us. You see, realize that 100% of the people that Jesus came for don't deserve him. 100% of the people that Jesus came to save are not good enough. 100% of the people that Jesus came to save cannot be good enough. 100% of the people who Jesus came to save are unfaithful. Jesus came for people who earned hell not for people who were basically pretty decent. That's why it's good news. It's good news for fools and disobedient people and those who are easily tricked and those who are slaves to their own desires. It's good news for people who are desperate for good news. And the second reason it's good news for all people is this. If we look back at Titus, God does this because he is love. It says, when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy. See, God does this not because he wants to be loving, but because his nature is to be love. He doesn't just do this because he wants to show us love. He is love. And so out of the overflowing abundance of his nature, which is kindness and which is love, He saves us, showing us mercy. The thing to realize here is He doesn't save you because of your nature. He saves you because of His nature. That there's nothing in my nature or your nature which would make us worthy of being saved, but because His nature is love, is mercy, is kindness, is covenantal faithfulness, He looks past our nature to save us from our nature. This is why Paul explains clearly that it is not because of righteous things that you have done, but because of his mercy. And so the reason this is good news for all people is, one, real wretches are the ones who are invited. Two, because God does it because of his loving nature, not because of your loving nature. And three, the third thing is that he did all the work. If you look at what Paul says, Paul says, He washed away our sins. How? With his blood. He gave us a new birth. How? Through his Holy Spirit. He gave us a new life. Again, how? Through his Holy Spirit. Well, how did we get that Holy Spirit in the first place? What did we do to earn this awesome work in our lives? And the point is this, you can't do anything. The Father generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You didn't do anything at all to earn it. No faithful deed, no righteous work, no religious ritual. It is 100% a gift of God. And it is because of His grace God's riches at Christ's expense, God giving us what we don't deserve, that he made us right in his own sight. The fourth reason that this is good news for all people is what does it mean that we're right in his own sight? 
It means that because of Jesus's faithfulness, because of the work of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a new creation, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that you are hidden in Christ. And when you stand before him as judge, he will look at you and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because he isn't looking at your faithfulness. He's looking at the faithfulness of the Son of God the one who is called in the book of Revelation, faithful and true, and you are hidden in him. And this is why, as Paul says in verse 7, we can have confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Not wishy-washy hope, but confidence. We bring you good news of great joy for all people. See, the gospel is good news, and the gospel is good news for all people. It's for overbearing dads who hope that they can regiment their kids into heaven. It's for worrywart moms who are constantly feeling like they're not enough. The gospel is for kids who don't fit in anywhere at school. It's for people who wonder if they're ever going to feel comfortable with who they are. Star athletes need the gospel. Nerds need it. People who love Star Wars or the Super Bowl both need the gospel. Straight people need the gospel. Gay people need the gospel. Transgender people need the gospel. Jews need the gospel. Catholics need the gospel. Muslims need the gospel. Buddhists need the gospel. People raised in Christian homes need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel because the gospel is good news for sin-dead people. The gospel is good news for all people but not everybody knows it. Not everybody knows it, like we talked about in our announcements or we hinted at. 42.5% of the globe, 42.5% of the globe still has little to no access to the gospel. This is large areas of North Africa, Central Asia, South Asia, the Middle East, Atheist China, especially when you get inland. Large portions, over 2 billion people have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of where they live. And here's the crazy thing, is that in God's sovereignty, he sent the light into the darkness. He said, you know, those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light in Isaiah chapter 9. Those who walked in darkness have seen the light. Jesus, as the light shining in the darkness, comes in, and then he, he, he leaves. He leaves. And then Jesus says, now you are the light of the world. In other words, Jesus comes, and he comes as the light, the embodiment He's full of the Spirit without measure. He sends the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then he says, you are the light of the world. And now it's your job to go out into the world, whether it's Cape May or Chengdu, China. You've probably never heard of Chengdu, China, right? It's bigger than Cairo, 15 million people in center, central China. It's got a little, real little church, a little underground church. Maybe you heard about it during the pandemic because the government came in and crushed them, called the Church of Latter Days or Latter Rains, something like that. It was all over the Gospel Coalition when the government came in and stormed their church of 100 people, arrested all of the elders. 
And so from Cape May to Chengdu, China, there's a desperate need for God's people to go and be light out in the world. It's our job to go from here to the ends of the earth and to proclaim to all people, not just people who look like us or smell like us or act like us, not just people who have the same orientation as us or people who struggle with the same things as us or who grew up in the same kind of cultural upbringing or ethnic history or demographic. It's for all people, for all people to know that there is good news of great joy. What is the good news? Jesus Christ died to save sinners. That's the good news. And so you're here today, and you are part of that all people category. You need the gospel. You need to know that you were born a sinner, desperate for forgiveness, and then your life has proved it time and time and time again. You live the life of a sinner, not measuring up to God's perfect standard. You need forgiveness, and we're not here to condemn you, so do we. I mean, that's why we're here. You know you're not the perfect dad, the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect student, the perfect kid, the perfect brother, the perfect sister, and so on and so on and so on. But I'm here to give you good news. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. He died to save you. And so what did Jesus say to people when he walked this earth? This is what he said. He said, follow me. But to follow him, you need to stop following whatever it is you are following. That means the Muslim needs to stop following Muhammad. The religious person needs to stop trying to earn their way into heaven, and so on and so forth. Mark 1.15, we read this, The time promised by God has come at last. Jesus announced, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And one day, as Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they were fishermen. And Jesus called out to them, and he said, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. This is what Jesus says to each of us. He says, Repent of your sins and believe and follow me. Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how to be that light but the question is, will we follow him, or will we stay where we are with our nets? And so I'm inviting you today to follow Jesus by repenting and believing in the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, and he wants you to follow him. And if you want to commit to that, you know you can pull one of us aside, and we'll pray with you after the service. And for those of you who already know Jesus, I'm asking you to show that good news to all people people who look like you and people who don't, people who act like you and people who don't, people who love the things that you love and people who hate the things that you love, because all people need the gospel. Let's pray together. Father God, as we approach this Advent season, the arrival of Jesus Christ in that manger scene, I pray, God, that we would remember time and time and time again that Jesus came for all people. He didn't just come for people who look like us or act like us or love the same things we love or of our political affiliation, but Jesus came for all people. He came for wretches. He came for murderers. He came for people who are dirty and disgusting in their sin. And I pray that we wouldn't hold that truth back from anyone, but we would revel in the forgiveness of Christ and it would fill us with indestructible joy. 
in the face of any opposition or difficulty. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.